This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Last week, Ron spoke to me about new client acquisition beyond business to consumer, such as business to business, government, and the power of having quality systems in place, such as the NDIS registration status, and how Avana supports becoming an NDIS registered healthcare business. Today, we're speaking about the value of optimizing white space in the clinical calendar by understanding the types of clients that exist out there in the marketplace employees and their engagement with healthcare via employers, and what is the well-being journey going forward. We're also talking about dealing with no-shows and cancellations, a big issue in the allied healthcare sector, as well as uh, the workplace shortages and retention of healthcare staff and uh, bringing about what Rowan calls a holistic engagement and a glimpse into the future of online journeys in healthcare. Let's jump in. It is a big piece of work and there's a lot of funding behind it, as we know, but it is, um, you know, the clients happy with our service keep coming back to us thinking, asking us, you know, have you thought about, you know, aged care? So we got into the aged care space. Have you thought about DVA and how that can look like, you know, TAC and all these other, you know, other sort of regulatory frameworks, um, which there are many. Um, So it's definitely part of our vision, but I, I guess what I always take it back to is I don't want to, I don't want to accredit a business where I also don't have some skin in the game in relation to that, that next step in the journey. Okay. If I accredit you and you become NDIS registered, can I do so hand in my heart knowing that I can deliver clients or at least provide you the tools to go get the clients yourself and that's fine for some industries where there are shortages in particular allied health you know across the board there is a shortage of allied health providers um, who can service ndis participants um but you know what about with respect to these other registration groups so we always try to um think about it in the framework of our our provider um you know if we're going to offer you this registration service how can the technology or how can the marketplace assist down the road to actually drive those sorts of leads um when you need them um which is kind of our foundational philosophy around any business opportunity we, we pursue well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, you use an interesting phrase, uh, which from memory is white space monetization. Um, tell, us, tell us about that. Why did you choose that language and, and what does it mean for, um, for healthcare businesses that are on the platform? Yeah, so our platform integrates with um, different practice management systems, obviously Core Plus. We're very excited about um, bringing on board. Um, I don't know if I stole something of thunder, Yanni, but we're really excited about the Core Plus integration. But when we think about integrations 
um, generally, uh, we're integrating effectively availability. And what it looks like on our side of the calendar, so to speak, is that there are blocks of time throughout the day. Um, depending on where you are in your healthcare journey, if you're starting off, there might be a few blocks before work. Maybe you've got a client at lunch and maybe you've got a client or two after work. And, and as you evolve your practice and as you become um, you know, more experienced and you gain experience, you know, obviously your, your book sort of fills up over time if you're good at what you do. But what we found is that there are these persistent white spaces in the calendar, um, which are, you know, traditionally very hard to fill. And they're different for different provider types. Like, you know, a personal trainer, for example, would struggle to fill in just after work and just before lunch and just after lunch and, you know, before the end of the day. And that's really the thinking behind the white space. How can we fill the white space in your calendar? And what is that client type that best fills it? Um, because there's no point us marketing to private clients who don't want to come, you know, during the white space, if you will. But there might be a certain client demographic, you know, because they felt, you know, they injured themselves on the morning, in the morning or overnight, and they want an appointment the next day who are more flexible. Similarly, there are NDIs participants, like we've talked about earlier, that, you know, are, are regular clients who come back every week. Um, who can be a bit more flexible with their time because they know that they value seeing the the same practitioner at the same time and they're they're happy to slot into those more off peak times because they they value that um you know that constant um same client or same practitioner contact if you will so that's where the term the white space is so if I can fill the white space in your calendar and where we've taken this thinking you know, especially in the last six months is with the right type of client, you know, that's what you're going to thank me for. You know, you don't need leads for your busiest slots. And that's that's where the, the, the marketing um, piece come, comes to it. So that, so that uh, makes a lot of sense. Obviously, uh, I think a lot of um, uh, health practice managers and business owners would um, highly value being able to have less availability uh, in a given day because they're being properly utilised. Um, and obviously that is um, growth within that uh, particular health practice. Um, you talk about some different um, types of clients as well. So we've sort of we've spent a bit of time on NDIS, but you talk about B2C, talk about B2B, uh, you talk about uh, government-funded clients. Um, so are your programs in terms of new client acquisition and helping with lead generation um, designed to be tailored for a given business on your network or are you generally focusing on these different cohorts and then trying to figure out the best place for them? So it's a combination. So we have um, in terms of uh, our next push at Ivana is really on the the corporate um, and SME side, which are really two different markets, but for the sake of uh, simplicity will will combine them uh, because what we found is that a lot of employees, you know, like myself included, aren't working from you know 101 Collins Street or you know in the CBD anymore. We're working from home, and we have limited interest in going back to the office. So when we reimagine our 
um, client experience we're thinking about through the lens of um, that that customer and thinking about it in the lens of the employer. And the employer has traditionally spent money and a lot of money at that, uh, especially at the, the, the top end, trying to devise corporate health and well-being strategies, whether that's engaging a corporate health and well-being provider to organise yoga or meditation or massage therapists to come to the office once a week, everything to weekly fruit bowls or flu shots. What we're finding is that that's that's great and that's fine and there'll always be a place for that. But how are we servicing me? How are we servicing the employee that works from home that isn't getting the benefit of those benefits or perks, if you will? And what we think is that the Ivana marketplace and and our business focused or corporate focused dashboard that we are we are it's currently under development now solves for that. It, you know, it allows corporates to actively effectively give the power in relation to their well-being budget for their employees into the hands of the employee by saying, Hey, we appreciate everything you do for us. We know it's been a, a tough couple of years. You know, rather than giving you uh, or rather than spending this $100 um, per year that we have allocated to your health and well-being, why don't you go get the service you actually desire, whether that's something to help with your back pain or whether that's more relaxation-based um, with a massage or maybe it's a gym membership and go book it on Ivana and we'll pay for it. And if you if you engage with it, and if we can actually see the results of that engagement, you know, we'll top up that account. And that's where we see, uh, you know, an incredible level of, of of opportunity going into this next year because that is the way workplaces are, you know, trending. Um, and what was traditionally, you know, health and wellbeing and these sorts of plans were traditionally um, reserved for the top end of town, um, you know, the Collins Street, if you will, is now becoming almost a must-have for any small to medium enterprise also. So what is their strategy to, you know, actually deploy health and well-being at scale to employees who are across Australia? Well, I think, you know, Avana can fill that gap. We have practitioners all across Australia, in particular on, you know, Melbourne, Sydney, doesn't matter where you live. Um, your employee can jump on board, uh, invest their budget in a service that matters to them. And that comes back to our what we start, talked about at the start of the meeting. Wellbeing means something different to each of us. So instead of you know, prescribing at an organisational level that you should feel well by you know, going to a yoga session, just let the employee decide. And that's where we think... Um, there is massive opportunity in the market. Yeah, I would. Um, I would tend to agree with you, Rowan. I think. Um, I think there's definitely a change, uh, not just in uh, regulation and law with respect to workplace health and safety uh, broadly, uh, but also I think um, uh, the generational changes in our population are uh, more sensitive to their their health and wellness needs and doing it on their terms um, and in terms of uh, time scheduling, etc. Um, I often refer to the concept of digital health as being 
really focused on addressing um, a simple question, you know, how does healthcare fit into the lives, the schedules, goals and aspirations of the individual? And, uh, and so digital health has um, a great framework for being able to solve that. And I think, you know, the platform that you're building is part of that uh, solution set because it is a convenient um, entry point or ingress into the, um, the world of healthcare and, and sort of, you know, bringing that um, array of um, information, options, education together for somebody to be able to self-navigate and, um, and get to the right place at the right time um, to suit their particular needs and goals and aspirations. Um, and I think on the other side, uh, health business owners are probably seeing that more diversity uh, in the community, which, um, you know, presents some of those challenges as far as, you know, what kind of business am I in? You know, how do I train people? How do I, how do I make sure I have a level of quality in how I support um, clients? Now, at one point, if you sort of um, think about it in a very uh, limited way, if you said, I'm only ever going to serve a client who has one particular um, healthcare um, presentation uh, or issue and, uh, and nobody else, everybody else I say no to, right? And you could hyper-focus on having a process that is really efficient and effective to be able to support that that person. And, you know, there, there are some applications we see, you know, for, for example, in dentistry, uh, you know, putting a filling in um, might be an example of just something that gets done all day, every day. And it's easy to train and support the process uh, around that. But when you're dealing uh, with uh, allied health uh, and you're dealing with diverse mental health care issues, diverse uh, musculoskeletal uh, issues, diverse diet and uh, um, nutritional uh, types of issues. Um, you know, it's very hard to hyper-focus on a really um, repeatable uh, all-day, every-day type um, microservice that that only does that and says no to everybody else. So being being able to have that flexibility in your practice through the regulatory support, but then also being able to actually um, get the right type of client into your into your practice makes a lot of sense, Ron. I can see the wisdom of um, you know your your vision with the Avana platform in, in heading in that direction. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, um, you know, obviously the era of lockdowns um, hopefully is behind us uh, for good, uh, but um, hopefully. that hopefully yes, but that was very disruptive to um, healthcare and every every business for that matter, every person. Um, but what we're seeing now, um, at least at a, at a meta level is that, um, there are a lot of cancellations and no shows happening in healthcare. And I think there'd be a lot of business owners listening who, who would empathize with this. Are you doing anything with your tech stack or, or perhaps some of the tools that you're developing around the, um, the cultural side of things, uh, that, um, helps, helps deal with cancellations and did not attends and no shows. Um, what are you What are you doing in that particular area, if anything? I think the main thing we're doing is we're incentivizing paying up front, which I'm not saying that other health practices don't do, but it's harder to do it um, when you know you're um, you know, someone calls into the clinic and books an appointment, or you know, even booking online uh, on their own website. It's very difficult to ask for money up front but what we're saying is effectively we know that people are now conditioned to do it in every other area of their lives so why not you know healthcare um 
And that's not necessarily solving cancellations and no-shows, but it is adding a level of friction there. You know, if if um, you book the appointment traditionally uh, and you say there's a cancellation policy of 24 hours and if you if you uh, cancel less than that, then we take X percent of the fee. It's very difficult unless they're a repeat customer to recover that X percent. Um, so you kind of just let it go because you have no other option. Well, if you take the payment up front, then you have that optionality, at least in relation to how to deal with it. You know, can I confirm a, a, a rescheduled time on the spot um, so I'm no worse off or, you know, whatever it might be. I guess that's the number one thing. Uh, and number two, um, I guess our platform is sort of targeted, albeit we have, you know, different government funding mechanisms. It's still targeted at a slightly younger generation who are kind of, like I said, conditioned to paying for things and then, um, you know, upfront and 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 I guess from that perspective we we do feel we can kind of um manage that risk a little bit for the provider yeah i I see it as as a multivariate uh challenge there's um I've come to accept that uh, the reality is that uh, some human beings will cancel and not show up and that just seems to be a feature of the human experience in a in a modern economy um uh, so there may not ever be a solution for that, but perhaps acknowledging that that behaviour exists, um, we can evolve, I think, you know, payment upfront de-risks a given healthcare business from the financial ramifications of that behaviour. Um, but it may also limit, um, you know, lifetime value of the relationship between an individual who was penalised for not showing up financially and then never comes back to that particular practice and doesn't persevere with um, the uh, clinical goal uh, or therapy that's been put in place. Um, so I think there, there, there are opportunities to try and figure out how to um, accommodate the behaviour without necessarily making it a penalty or a um, an offence. Um, but ensure that the practice doesn't necessarily need to carry the cost of um of behavior people need to value the resources that are going into being prepared for that appointment uh and um and valuing people's time and valuing um you know the resources that are there to underpin it so um it's, i, I it's agree with that yeah i agree with that but and i think i think at least it opens up a dialogue right if if we weren't charging up front um you know, there's no reason for them to even pick up the phone and tell us why. Um, you know, there might be a legitimate reason. They might just cancel and, you know, you're kind of just stuck with it. At least you have a little bit more leverage, right, to actually have asked those sorts of questions and kind of work out, okay, well, this guy doesn't deserve the, the penalty. Um, you know, there's a legitimate reason and he has rebooked with us, right? Like Absolutely. If it's a no-show, it might be just, you know, lost for good, especially if there's no financial incentive on the on the client to, you know, come clean, if you will. Yeah, and that's what I was leading to. I think um I think some of that um and you know, we might take a leaf out of the quality and safeguarding um idea that there may be a procedure that can be trained into the practice where um doing the follow up call uh or um having some automated communications uh that are going out 
um, that are uh, done as a matter of course. They're part of the culture of the practice in order to establish, you know, is that person all right? They, you know, they're still alive. Um, do they want to reschedule? Do they want to continue? Has something changed? Um, did they get a bad experience last time they were uh, in attendance? You know, there's uh, th- that point you just made there around the leverage um, is a very interesting idea, but I think culture is part of the solution. I, I, I don't think that tech by itself solves for no-shows and cancellations, um, but what it can do is uh, make it easier to rebook, make it easier to, to make adjustments to schedule because something came up, make it easier to continue with therapy, even though you may be travelling um, for a week for work and, um, and so you had to cancel at the last minute because you felt that the work would disrupt the, um, the schedule. But in fact, with telehealth and other types of tools, there can be continuity in the care that are just a, a matter of um, educating and working with the, um, with the recipient of healthcare to better understand their options so that they're not feeling either awkward or embarrassed or by, you know, through their own limited understanding of what their options are, are disengaging from healthcare. Uh, and, uh, and I think that comes down to culture as well as technology. Uh, and there might be something for you, Ron, to consider with, uh, some of the, um, future bundles of, um, professional development or, um, or support for, for health practice culture. It definitely, it, um, it definitely sounds, it, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, it's not very difficult, but it is sometimes difficult for technology to, I guess implement solutions which should really be driven by culture, and and that's like you said, where um, policies and procedures and training and and I guess thinking through user journeys can really help. Um, is how can we align or how can technology assist with that? Um, yeah, I, I guess with cancellations, our general view is that we want to make it a little bit difficult, right? Like we don't want it to be so easy that, you know, you can just reply to an SMS and say, no, I'm not coming to the appointment because I don't know that necessarily, unless you're a very busy practitioner who's happy to sort of just let it go or it's a repeat client, you know, they'll book again. You've paid for that lead. You've paid for it directly or indirectly. You know, you've, paid a commission to a platform like Avana or you've paid to Google ads or you've invested time and money in building a brand or a content, there is a cost to that. So you sold them once. Um, how many times do we need to keep selling? I guess that's the question it comes back yeah. to. And that's where I empathize. I empathize with the provider. hundred percent. And that, and that's where I think it is a, um, a multivariate challenge where the, the, the procedures, the training, uh, the tech, um, work in unison uh, to um, uh, assist the person with uh, getting the most out of their healthcare engagement whilst factoring in that from time to time statistically they may need to cancel or reschedule or they don't show up for some kind of reason but there is some way that they can get it back online you know get it back without feeling embarrassed or awkward or uh, disgruntled um, because of a hard a hard sort of edge and I think that's that's not to suggest that um, payment up front is not a good idea I actually think it is a good idea because it does put 
important information on the table uh, for the consumer, which is uh, the price and the information that's contained with it, needs to acknowledge the value of the service that's being provided. So, you know, we can make adjustments to our schedules, but what we need to do is um, recognise that um, we can't just do that willy-nilly when other people have been prepared to show up for us. Uh, But on the same token, when it does happen, and it will happen, that practice is left with some gaps in its um, schedule that were otherwise provided for. And that's kind of, you know, going back to your sort of uh, white space optimization. I could see a lot of business owners um, understanding the value of being able to adapt to those uh, last minute bookings or perhaps um, people who um, can fill those gaps and um, lessen, I guess, the uh, the financial impact of, um, of a no-show. Um, so I think that that's kind of the point I was trying to make there, Roel, not, not necessarily to... Um, imply that one thing in of itself is good or bad but just that it there's no single solution here i think it's just acknowledging that humans appear to behave this way so what can we do to make it as as optimal an experience for everybody concerned and that's where i think culture and tech need to find that pathway together it's not just a tech solution on its own i think i think for avana like that's kind of where most of our bookings come from right last minute availability so cancellations we see you know i know i've talked about it in the framework of payments up front but it's still an opportunity because that's when people want to book that's what all of our data is telling us they don't want to wait two three days uh or even two or three days i should say for an appointment if there's something available today and it works for their schedule they're more than happy to take it today and um I guess if we if we think more from an opportunity side rather than the cost side, it, you know, something which isn't traditionally or I've never really seen it done effectively um, other than in the context of after hours or weekend pricing is, is there an ability to flex pricing over time um, based on what is a super valuable slot? in the context of a day, in the context of business hours, as opposed to something which is um, less valuable? And then is there a way for us as a platform to actually incentivize users to book into more valuable or less valuable and take that burden off the provider who can sometimes be a little bit embarrassed? I don't know if that's the right word, but um it might not be their place necessarily to say, or they might not feel like it's their place. It's definitely their place of their business, but they may not feel like it's best for them to manage how different people book into their calendar and how we can price differentiate, number one, and number two, how we can provide more options to, to different types of clients to actually utilise our services um, where they wouldn't otherwise be able to utilize safe because it's so expensive, but we're happy to accommodate them because we know that this particular slot of the day is never filled. Um, yeah. So if we can think about those opportunities and how that, I guess, re- relates to cancellations. So if you've got a cancellation and you've only been in two hours notice, can you, your calendar is integrated with Ivana, so we know about it. But is there something we can do because it's in two hours to really incentivize people who are browsing for your services to book? And and I think that's that's really exciting stuff um, if it's possible. Yeah, I think but so. That is a cultural yeah. shift, very much a cultural shift in yeah. relation to how 
we think about pricing and how we think about uh, utilization. And I, I don't know if we're ready necessarily, but we're ready. But I don't know if all of us as a collective are necessarily ready. So. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's become top of mind again. I think it's always been uh, a pain point within uh, the business of healthcare, but um, particularly with um, this last sort of I'm going to say nine months, nine to twelve months, it's been um, it's been a, a major pain point for a lot of practices. Um, I guess one one um, last area that I'd be interested in your um, describing. I guess what what your vision is for for Ivana. I mean, what's what's the world going to look like? Uh, let's say in five years' time, uh, if you're able to uh, fulfil that. So I think I originally started with the user journey, but as I'm thinking through it, um, the user journey is just as important as the practitioner journey and what a user wants to do with their health and wellbeing. And I use user, it's such a terrible term, but um, for ease of reference, I'm just going to continue using it. Let's say an everyday Australian on Australian um, the way they think about their health and well-being, I think, is going to be more uh, journey-driven, and um, there's going to be more of a clear path between modalities that traditionally haven't worked together. We have all of these sort of soft offline sort of referrals. I think referrals probably even is too strong a word, but let's say suggestions. If you're a psychologist who is dealing with someone who has stress or anxiety and you suggest something like, have you thought about meditation? How are we actually going to better empower the psychologist to actually help their client to get someone who is a meditation professional to guide them. So if everything goes well in five years' time, those links of those different customer archetypes and those, let's say, suggestion channels or those recommendations are driven by online experiences. Similarly, on the practitioner side of things, I think it will continue to... um, especially now, and especially there is real supply shortages on on the practitioner side. Practitioners have choice. When businesses think about how do we best retain, and when I say businesses, I mean healthcare businesses think about how do they best retain our, our staff, our professionals, our practitioners. They need to think about it holistically, and that comes back to a combination of pay and incentives. Um benefits, both financial and non-financial, diversity of caseload, which you touched on about, and and utilisation. I have the flexibility as as an entrepreneur and and my team does to work from home. Unfortunately, healthcare professionals don't always have that flexibility. They're expected to come to the clinic every day. But, you know, their friends, their family aren't, doing that. So how can we provide or inject that sort of flexibility into their lives? And I think an ability to, like I described, allow their calendar to work for them, to provide a mix of delivery types, online, telehealth, mobile, in clinic, 
and client types can really provide that um, that next level of care and, and and help with a lot of the sort of the more structural changes we're dealing with in Australia and and, and globally. I think that's a really interesting. Um, I think that the last word would go into that type of um, client types. Um, the diversity, being able to to interact with that as a modern healthcare practice and the corresponding impact that would have on the healthcare workforce um, and finding that sort of optimal pathway between uh, not just client health and wellness but also healthcare workforce health and wellness uh, so that um, everybody's generally feeling better um, in the lives that they lead. They're leading their, their, their best lives, um, so to speak. Uh, so I think... Um, you know, in between all that, um, underpinning the journey is um, is having the navigation and uh, marketplace thinking. I think is um, a big part of that going forward, uh, Ron. So I think uh, it's a noble vision, and um, really appreciate you uh, sharing the story um, that brings you to this point with Ivana. And um, yes, we're looking forward to the ongoing uh, success with the integration with uh, Core Plus, and uh, look forward to. Um, having you back from time to time to see how things are going with that vision of yours. Thank you, Yanni. It's been great. Thank you for um, letting me tell my story. It's been fun. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Gianni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.